How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 184. You know what's funny, Zeke? I could... If I just play the audio clip of what I screamed before we started recording, mm. I'd be in big trouble. How? What did you say? Oh, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Jake? I'm good. To be fair, I screamed cocaine for no reason. It doesn't... That's... It doesn't That's... imply that I actually do cocaine. Mm. Based on how mellow I sound right now. Probably not. I clearly haven't done cocaine. Yes. Why are you holding illicit, your phone like that? Illicit substances aside. Are you recording me? No. Okay. Jake. You're holding your phone very... Do you mm. have a trivia fact for the film of the Ooh, week? Oh, jumping right in. I like it. For Wolfwalkers. Yes. Which uh, I'm very excited to talk about. Yes. For a myriad of reasons. I do have a fun fact. In fact... I like to talk about Tom Moore, who, uh, of course, is one of the directors and probably the leading director of if the sort of the Irish folklore trilogy we're going to talk about is any indication. He seems to be the through line director through that trilogy. Mm. He typically casts young, unknown child actors to fill the child protagonist roles, and all mm-hmm. three films have multiple child protagonists in them. Yes. And uh, for in particular for this film, for Wolfwalkers, they're portrayed by, I hope I get these uh, pronunciations correct, but you've got Honor uh, Sk- Konevsky and Eva Whittaker, who are respectively 12 and 8 years old, uh, the latter having never acted before, uh, which I think was quite interesting because it does add a layer of authenticity to the mm-hmm. performance and the fact that they performed together. They recorded their lines, I guess, in the same room, which would also help, I believe. But Zeke... Do you yes. have a fun fact for me, perhaps? I most certainly do. Oh, goody! Speaking of actors... Yes, I've heard of them. <laughs> I've heard of those acting, acting types. You have. Good. Well, <laughs> a couple of more experienced actors. Sean mm. Bean and Maria Doyle Kennedy mm. uh, were previously together on Jupiter Ascending. Oh. A film <laughs> that no one needs to remember. There you go. But I don't think anyone even saw it either. Just was that the first one of a franchise? Um, was that towards the end? Yeah, well, it was one of those ones that was hoping to get a franchise. Right, it's so a Hunger Games, Twilight-esque yes. hopes and dreams, I guess. But that's okay. And of course, they were the parents of the two uh, children. Oh, the respective and, parents, yeah. Yes, the respective parents. So, I love that. Um, that's quite a, quite a neat two trivia facts put together there. Yeah, um, I know. This is, this is so great. Yeah. I love trivia facts, Zeke. But Jake, 2020 release, <laughs> so it's not going to be on the poster behind me. No, it's too new. So, hit it up. Would this be on your 1100 films? Absolutely. Yeah, it would be mine too. I think this is, we'll get into it. This isn't the first time I've seen the film, but when I first saw it and I reinforced again, rewatching it yesterday, um, the animation alone, there's just so much going on there that really informs the storytelling, informs just general expression mm-hmm. um and you know i love a good film that where you can tell the, the the direction and the vision behind it is very clearly unique and being portrayed through its medium through animation 100%. in this case and this film just nails it yeah but uh yeah i think it definitely deserves to be on the list beautiful well we can talk a little bit more about that in the second half of the show mm. let's jump into what we watched it. in the last week jake yeah what have you caught um not not too much this week like I said, I ended up catching the entire trilogy. So, of course, we're talking about The Secret of Kells and Son of the Sea, which is sort of the two films that precede. Um, or precede? That's the correct one? Yeah, because Secede is afterwards. Yes. So, precede this film. Uh, I'll talk about those in a minute. I did do a little watching of some more plebs, which, of course, is Kirsty's favourite show. I've been getting her into Breaking Bad. We actually just finished the first season together. Um, it's We only get, like, one episode every couple of weeks. So, we're very slow going on that. Mm-hmm. But we're... We'll slowly get in there. Before I get into those two, I want to talk a bit about a video game that I played. Because I only play at one something or two. Different. Per, something different. Something a little different. Yeah, we're going to cut you off. but no. <laughs> <laughs> Cut the mic. Cut the mic. No, well, I think it's relevant to this week's conversation because, you know, in terms of animation and, and style and aesthetic and all those things, I think this game really succeeds in that. And that's Stray. Now, have you heard about Stray at all? Cause no. Because this game's exploding on the internet. It's a game that the headline, you play as a cat. Okay. And uh, that's it. That's the game you play as a cat. I mean, th- that that's the joke. There's a lot more underlining lore going on with the sort of the um, neo-lit dark alleyway aesthetic of the game. It kind of is Limbo Journey-esque in its style and aesthetic where mm-hmm. it is 
very distinct and I just wanted to give a shout out because uh, as much as I love playing as a cat and all those and the story elements they build the lore of this you know this underground city filled with robots and all of that but I just wanted to shout out the visual aesthetic and the and the sense that I've seen people talk about it and I totally get it the sense of loneliness you feel when you're playing this game because you start out you know with your your cat family mm-hmm. but you very quickly get uh, stranded or separated from them so you were playing as a cat who is essentially for 99% of the game the only cat in the game so that along with the sort of the the lo-fi music so is that sort of like journey from it's journey-esque i would say there's a bit more there's a lot more like text dialogue and like quote-unquote speaking characters journey's a lot more i mean if if you don't know about journey the i think it was a ps3 game initially Mm -hmm. they've re-released on pc and all of the other stuff but um play journey it's probably one of the greatest games ever made very much studio ghibli meets 2001 space odyssey which i love making that comparison because i generally think that's a good comparison to make for that game um so in terms of like the emotion that comes with the visual aesthetic and animation Mm -hmm. behind it it's really moving i think games like this remind me and animation like the movie we're about to talk about reminds you of just how much dialogueless visual language can make you feel i mean there is ghibli is a good example of that as well of just the way the art is presented to you it i don't know i it it's a much wider conversation i'm not even nearly prepared to talk about but i wanted mm. to give stray a shout out it's a good game beautiful what about you z what have you been watching i'm not caught... doing anything <laughs> yeah well it's been a very busy week i'm you're back at school back at school on my final placement so won't delve too much into that but it's been a very busy time um yeah so i've already caught one film other than the film of the week um yep. and that was a i think it was a what they call like the hbo straight to release sort of stuff kind oh. of like chernobyl i believe falls into that hbo-esque well, HBO that, that's, original a, that's just film. a mini series i think yeah yeah um i think they call them like something like HBO TV, like they're like TV films, but they're not on the TV. Oh, interesting. It's like a okay. I'm pretty, a weird I'm pretty cate- sure Chernobyl was like a five week okay run, like a normal series. It yeah. was a weird category thing that I had never heard of before. Okay. But it um the TV movie, yeah, sort of. But it, it definitely, obviously, had a little bit more going for it. It was probably just easy to just say it was a streaming film, basically, sure. like, a, like a Netflix sort of. It's called Bad Education, and oh, have I heard of this? You probably have. Um, Bad education. It's directed by Corey Finley, um, who is known for Thoroughbreds, which you have caught, I believe, haven't you? Thor- no, no, I you haven't, have but I've de- I definitely that's um, Anya Taylor Joy's in that, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and okay. I believe that is the thing that he's most known for. Other than this film, oh, I've seen what you. I've definitely seen the poster for this bad education. Yeah, no, obviously the two most recognisable people in there are Hugh Jackman and Alison Janney, who, you know, did the, this not have a theatrical release? No, I don't believe it did. Okay, um, interesting. And it basically uh, follows, uh, basically two people in particular who uh, are superintendents. So their job is to come into schooling systems and districts mm-hmm. and basically. They're like kind of like superintendent charmers in the season. Yeah, they they revitalize <laughs> well, they revitalize the school and and bring it up in its prestige basically. Sure. And and they talk about how like basically what happens is these two start skimming basically, or they they've been skimming for years, and basically they've been using um, public resources to fund their own personal gain. So they're just credit card fraud really oh, okay. at its but at a at an absurd level like millions and millions of dollars and I feel like the public school system if you try and squeeze them out of cash you would get like 10 bucks yeah <laughs> so it's, and, money, it's basically it, it follows sort of follows this scandal unfolding but sure. the fact of the, the the most interesting part is the story first broke by the student newspaper of the school oh that's cool so they follow this uh younger student who's basically uncovering the scandal as a follow it's a fun and entertaining it's a fun sort of uh fire-esque oh, okay um, sort of drama Same sort of energy or yeah oh definitely not got like the like the sort of beats that fire right. has in that sense but it definitely isn't intriguing enough like the obviously the performances from 
from Jackman and Jenny are, are mm. really strong. And Jackman and Jenny, um, it's a good duo. Ray Romano's in it too for a little oh, bit, cool. which is always fun. Um, Ooh, Alex Wolf is in it. Nice. Yeah, it's a good collection. Yeah. Um, it's just a really decent, easy to watch hundred minutes. Really, it yeah, flows by it, very quickly, yeah, and you're, you're, yeah, yeah, you're very satisfied by the end. Um, other than that, just film of the week. Didn't get to watch the new episode of Westworld before here, oh, so no. have to. I always have to pay for my binge as of next week. So <laughs> <laughs> my two oh, you're running up. out of binge. I'm running out of binge. Well, I'm happy. I got my six months of Apple TV Plus. And I've got to say, I was going to wait until we started talking about the film, but I'm glad they have like a search functionality now. They have You can like tag films you've seen and put them in watch. You can actually do that now. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm, I'm happy for it, but it's kind of absurd we have to wait on that. Mm. <laughs> no, no engineer at Apple was like, Oh, I need I need another six months to put the search feature. You know what there. it you know what it feels like. I, I, we <laughs> talked about it, but it really feels like they're all just trying to have distinct personality streaming platforms, but not functional functionality. It's so like, like the kid at school; he just has no personality, and that is the personality. Netflix by a mile has the <laughs> easiest to navigate interface, but it was right. also like the the most like it was the first major one. Sure. So they took all the really good ideas, and every other platform after it has slowly been getting worse when it's been introduced because they're like. We have to. We literally have no functionality left if it's not <laughs> copying. And you're just like, well, it's not about. The, can you just all have the same functionality yeah. and just give us different content? Like, it's not like you to make a car. You don't want it to be like other cars, so your brand is to be unique by getting rid of the wheels, yeah. replace them with squares. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like there's still a function to how this should work. Like you get on Netflix, everything moves so smoothly, and you're like, "Oh, this is great!" Like, yeah. there's a shame there's like nothing on here anymore compared to like because <laughs> all of the other streaming platforms took all your good stuff. Netflix. Yeah, Kirsty, I think I, I think she's keeping her Netflix just for a for a mum to be able to use it, but she's basically swapping over the Brit box, which is exclusively like Brit comedy shows. Yeah, which like, I'm this close. I share close? It with my brother, and I'm gonna be like. I I just don't use it that much. Yeah. Like I watch strange, maybe Stranger Things. The sad part is the only two things I can say I mm. watch actively on Netflix are Stranger Things and Cobra Kai. Right. <laughs> so I was it. like, so it's like, you need one one month for every year for Cobra Kai, and then once every four years for Stranger Things, which will end soon anyway. Like so. when was the last good <laughs> Netflix release? Like let's think about that for a second. Like like Netflix original. Yeah, even like even the, the last films. couple of years like their Oscar E films have been sort of Hustle was like pretty the, good. Hustle. <laughs> I don't by Adam I'm going Sandler. back to like Roma now, but then like Marriage Story, but that's just from getting like actual filmmakers to make stuff for them. Yeah. Like 2019 was insane because they got Noel Bombach and, and bloody Martin Scorsese and they got like let's get real filmmakers making Netflix films and now it's like and oh, they we can't didn't really... win anything. And they won nothing and they're like oh, we can't really Bored it now. Apple just comes stumbling in, just dumps code <laughs> on walks out, grabs their they stumble. They don't even have a search button on their website, and they win best picture on their first go. Well, his part is no one could hear it. Uh, or their first. Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> it was a beautiful film. Second or third go. I yeah. really liked it. But I think mean, now that I have Apple again, I'm going to do the Cha Cha real smooth because I hear it's actually really good. We should do that at some point. Yeah, sure. And I'm very excited to do uh, that. You got anything else you'd like to add before we move to the yeah, second half well, of the show? Yeah, well, I might as well just talk about those two films, The Secret of Kells and Son of the Sea, which, again, are the sort of the, the two-thirds of the, the trilogy that Wolf Walkers completes. It's the Irish folklore trilogy. And like I said, Tom Moore is really the, the him and, and Cartoon Saloon, which is sort of like your Ghibli mm-hmm. namesake, if you will. Um, they're sort of the, the pioneers of this trilogy. So I'll start with the 2009 release, Secret of Kells. Um, I like this one a lot. I think, like I like I already teased you, I think Wolf Walk is still probably my favorite. But this one felt very similar in terms of the sort of the verticality and the okay. the, the experimentation with animation, yeah. the way they would flatten layers and you know use bird eye views of towns and forests to create shapes. And we'll get we'll get into all of that with Walkers because I think Wolf Walkers really goes the extra mile in terms of how it deals with animation and style, but um, I really, again, very similar in the sense that they take environments that we're familiar with, like forests and castles and um, and frame them and, and shoot them, quote-unquote, shoot them in a way that does make them look quite funky and unique, uh, with the rare exception of sort of the abstract scene being when 
uh, the main character, Brendan, sort of fighting off this serpent, this snake. And he's using chalk as like almost a defense mechanism, which is, I guess, it's like the, the pen is mightier than the sword mm. metaphor there. But in terms of abstractness, that's as far as I go with that. Again, Tom Moore does the thing with the casting of the Unknown Children. Um, you have Christy or Kristen Mooney's uh, as Aslan in this film, which I think sticks out a little more in this film is, oh, she very clearly never acted before. It's mm-hmm. not that she's wooden, but it's like you can kind of hear, when you're watching it, you can kind of see her in the in the booth doing the lines. Feels sort of separated from, you know, the Brendan lines, for example. But that being said, there's almost a charm to it where it could equally immerse you more into the story than it actually would take you out of yeah. the immersion. Um, but in terms of the actual story, and again, Irish folklore, so each one of these films is sort of tackling a different thing. This one's about the creation of the Book of Kells. It takes a very Assassin's Creed-esque um, approach to sort of filling in its own gaps in history. Uh, the Book of Kells uh, illustrated... or oh, sorry, not illustrated. Well, it is illustrated. It is an illuminated manuscript gospel, uh, which was believed to be in the 9th century, and this is when the story takes place. Um, but it takes place from the you know the sheltered child's point of view. Brendan, he's um, he's enamored with writing and knowledge, and that juxtapose the leader, his uncle, who's very much like just wants to build this wall to protect from Vikings. So it sort of is that knowledge versus ignorance battle going on there. In terms of mixing those big ideas with the small character moments, I don't think this film does it as well or as balanced as Wolf Walkers does. But it's their first film, and I was shocked to learn that this really did have that big reach back in the day. It did get the Oscar nom for Best Animated Film. It lost to Up, which, whew, that's tough competition. Very tough. But um, And we can get into that. I definitely think, we've talked about before, like films in the animation category for awards, like how much of that should be considered just based on the actual animation style? Like, is it about just it being a good, entertaining film for a good story? Or what's the percentage of appreciation towards the animation alone? Because there's a lot more work that went into the animation of The Secret of Kells than Up. Mm-hmm. But also, which is the better film overall? I mean, I think Up's a masterpiece, so yeah. I'm not going to debate that. But anyway, the, it, it's interesting. But I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, that, that Tom Moore had that reach back then. Now, at least the second film, Son of the Sea, which I, going to be honest, I didn't have nearly as many nice thoughts about. I wasn't engaged at all with the story. As much as it was interestingly contemporary compared to the other two films. It sort of takes place in a more familiar town with, um, not pavement, but sort of like cobblestone roads and there's buses yeah. and buildings and all that stuff. And even the drama is a bit more contemporary where it's about, you know, this uh, these this brother and sister and the mother dies in childbirth, so the brother sort of resents the sister and the dad's all upset about it. So every time mm-hmm. he, it's his daughter's birthday, he's thinking about his wife's passing. And so there's a lot of like, contemporary adult drama in there which i thought was interesting it's not about fighting off dragons and demons and <laughs> uh like the other two films are but that being said other than a few random ideas like i liked how ben was sort of he always had that that bungee dog leash thing that he's always attached to characters and that was a cool way that they could animate that and physically attach him to characters as they go for the brother and sister relationship you know develops the way it does and he comes to love and respect her and they have that bond it's like all those elements are there Mm. and it kind of makes me feel really bad for saying that i just didn't care about any of it and i'm reading a lot of reviews like oh my god i cried like 10 times watching this film i was like i didn't (laughs) well every film affects people differently no exactly and i and i think between that and and the animation it's still very you know ghibli-esque sort of standout animation it's beautiful to look at but I, i didn't find it as intriguing or as experimental as the other two films went to that extent they do use sort of that the glyph floating symbols effect a lot which i think is used really well in Wolfwalkers as well but otherwise yeah i was a little disappointed by son of the sea but mm-hmm. i did watch it in that order i watched one two and then i rewatched Wolfwalkers last beautiful so yeah i mean that takes us perfectly into our film of the week i believe but jake what are we watching well zinc believe it or not <laughs> Let's look at the show. We're watching Wolfwalkers. Close your eyes, let the wolf come near. Round the moon, she brings you cheer. How's the 
In a time of superstition and magic, where wolves seem as demonic and nature and evil to be tamed, a young apprentice hunter comes to Ireland with her father to wipe out the last pack. Wow, so poetic. Be fierce, be wild, be free. Oh, I like it. Little tagline. Yeah. We should do that more. We should use taglines from films. Absolutely. That's a good tagline. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Zeke, what did you think of this film? Really liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so good. There's a good. lot to, you know, and you see part of you, especially, well, in, in my instance, it's like, and maybe it's just because teacher brain is running at an all-time <laughs> high. <laughs> Sit there brain. and all I'm thinking while I'm watching it is, wow, what a great film to do for, if you're doing fantasy genre. Like, this is yeah. just the easiest... This is the easiest. There's so much to look in animation too, and that side. So you've got multiple sort of layers to explore with it. Mm. It's it's not too, uh, you know. Obviously, it's appropriate. Like you think of everything, it's like age appropriate and all that. But sure, there's a lot of like action and 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 uh, tension. Yeah. But it's still yeah. Like an eight year old could watch this easily and be absolutely. entertained by it. Absolutely. Um. I, was, I had a funny thought in my head while we were talking about it just in the first half of the show where I was like, oh, this is basically Fern Gully meets uh, Help, I'm a Fish. Okay. <laughs> you remember a very obscure animation film called Help, yeah, I was I'm gonna, a Fish. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about there, but um, <laughs> you're onto it, You I know guess. what? It was a weird sort of film, I remember. It's one of those films that was always put on as a kid yep. to keep you watching. But I don't I think I've ever... films on my end. I don't know what you're um, watching. <laughs> and it was like one of those just cheap 2D animation films, which it'd be really interesting to see if I can get it up. But, I wonder if it um, holds up as well, yeah. I think it was. that's what it was called. Yep, I was correct. That's what it's... I've wow, got a, I'm showing Jake a picture. I'm looking at it. Well, I'm a fish. <laughs> that's a great title. Hell, I'm a fish, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a strange... Um, Weird sort of two D animation film, which yeah, well, um, oh yeah, maybe it was like a Danish film that was translated. Yeah, it would have been because it's a bunch of interesting side yeah, story. I know so that's the side show right here. Yeah, we we wandered into the woods and couldn't find our way out. Um, yeah, no, this is a really great film where mm. it comes to sort of the, the the two things I find my first two takeaways is is like the most authentic. And yet original idea that I've ever seen. So it has that yeah. perfect, strikes that perfect balance where it feels like it's based off Irish, like it is based off Irish folklore, but it's right. not like, it's not like a retelling of a fairy tale. Sure. It's not, it's not, you know, uh, I was going to say Pocahontas, so probably a better example. Like it's not Pinocchio 507 yeah. remake. Sort so, of and that's where the originality side comes in. Yeah. It's taking a folklore and sort of, to, you know, and we've talked about how mythology and 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 old um, folklore is translated, particularly into like works by Eggers with Northman and yeah, I thought and, about Eggers a lot during this film and and light, Lighthouse a bit more morbid in those sure. films, <laughs> and, slightly uh, uh, terminal. But what Wolfwalkers does is is authentically give us um, sort of takeaways of folklore and those sort of perceptions of the culture at the time that. Yeah. Um, the wild was seemed as as, as uh, those who lived in the wild and embraced the more natural were deemed more witches and and stuff. Which right. you know, also definitely Eggers comes up. Well, I didn't even mention the witch in that time, but yeah. um, it's it is interesting that sort of um, basically those who were sixteenth century hippies <laughs> were deemed just witches because they. would Lived off the land yeah. more primordially than and it works the industrial great. revolution. It works great because like all of this context, and I did do a little bit of reading. There's some great um, YouTube videos about like the mythology of of all three films in this in this trilogy. But of course, talking about how this sort of takes place in the later years of the Irish Confederate Wars, and it sort of explains the beef that um, Robin has with that sort of random bully kid, and that sort of meant to represent the the unease between the sort of the native Irish and then the Confederate English that have come in that, that's meant to represent those two sides. But then you have the same thing like you said with the outsiders in the woods where um you know Meb calls her a townie and it's a very similar thing. They're kind of labeling each other in different mm-hmm. groups and but it's all in service of such a not a simple story, but it's a very heartwarming 
approachable story for a, for a young person to watch. And I, you're right. I mean, this is such a great example of fantasy storytelling that is fun for the whole family because it's so well made. Yeah, I mean, and it comes back to, you know, you're talking about that dialogue exchange between the two, between Maeve and and Robin, and and it's it's one of those things where it's very it's very simple storytelling where it's just mm. like you know, Robin's this fish out of water character that can't seem to fit into any demographic she's an english woman in ireland in the middle of a time where english people are not really welcomed they're (laughs) they're sort of the oppressors yeah and is met with the same resentment when she's out in the in you know i'm admittedly maves more hospitable immediately um but is more of a trickster and is, Mm. is more like taunting her for a different reason in a more in a more joking childish way whereas um, the bully kid is very visceral with his resentment towards, yeah. Um, despite all serving this sort of common interest of of sort of industrial expansion, yeah. Um, it is. It, I mean, it's a from the opening um, sort of prologue, we 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 grasped what Wolfwalkers are, mm. and they they don't really lead um, leave too much in, in there. We immediately know, oh, Wolfwalkers are these sort of nature loving get get this mystical power from from nature and the environment yeah, and being yeah. connected to the land and, and there's that like forgiving element of like they let the axa go in that opening scene yeah and to your point like yeah the film doesn't really go out of its way to explain it it's all sort of self-evident and when i was watching the mythology video um i watched it first before rewatching, and you know in the video she goes on about sort of the rules of wolf walkers and like what happens if you tamper with the body when they're in wolf form or vice versa. And I remember being like, oh yeah, well they explain this all in the movie and then mm. watching the movie, I'm like, oh, they don't. And it's just sort of like, they don't go out of your way, but you feel like you know it so well, that world, yeah. the rules of the world. It's funny because watching this film, a lot of points really sort of ran along the same sort of line as the film I talked about a couple of weeks ago, The Sea Beast. Mm. which has just been released to Netflix, which pretty much has, or to be pretty close to nearly point for point in terms of, oh, there is this representation of imperial force, which Mm. for them is the crown. This is very clearly evident, obviously, England. Um, And this sort of misconceived narrative on wolves in this case is the same thing that happens with that one, which is sea beasts, where basically we're hunting down and destroying the environments and the animals within their environment to better expand the wealth of a very small select people because you know we our introduction to Kilkenny or Kilkani mm-hmm. um is it's a land that is very much under the uh, the control of the English they don't really see the wealth of the fruits of their labor they mm-hmm. have a town but when robin's moving through the town a lot of the the people she meets are quite sickly looking they don't sure, yeah. they don't In rags and yeah they don't they don't look like they're benefiting off this sort of taking of the land and some of them are actively revolting against it or disagreeing with the fact that we're invading the land of the wolves and yeah prior well, even, prior to even this just the accent he's in like a guillotine thing for like the whole movie yeah <laughs> he just lives there yeah. <laughs> um and so very much the the wealth is going probably back to you know the English motherland to the crown yep. and and such and the sea the sea beast film I was discussing a few weeks ago pretty much has the exact same sort of misconstrue of history and 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 this film's way of of talking about how history was messed with the youth and how the youth have this ill perception mm. of of animals and nature it comes in Robin's introductory scene when she's silhouetted right. in dark and she's singing kill the wolf yeah <laughs> which um nearly is almost directly the same as uh, a child reading a book on famous pirates hunting monsters right and how monsters were the first to kill humans where and the perception here is very much that oh well the wolves attacked us we're taming yeah. the land um even though it's invasion kill those pesky wolves yeah so i guess there was sort of that meta commentary because there was two of those going on yes. and like i said it is represented because you, you have her calling her a townie but then also there's the english irish rivalry going on yes it's very comparable well, oppression would yeah. be more accurate but yes <laughs> um 100 percent. and yeah. you sort of they, you know even in that opening scene without saying anything her singing that you're like oh well that's the cultural 
um, perception of the time and, yeah. and and the kids playing in the alleyway with having a wolf in a cage mm. you know mimic a child mimicking that and saying that their their fathers are soldiers who are serving hunting down wolves and animals and taming the land yeah because this land was was unkept um and yeah and that go- that goes into as well well yeah they're sort of bragging about what their father's statuses are in this sort of concoction that they've made but at the end of the day as much as robin's out to prove her worth like you know i'm i'm just as good as a wolf hunter as my father yes it's the pure opposite to you know when we meet Mem, she's a lot more experience and self-defense because she's in the wild she's lived that life and she's had to avoid hunters and, and bear traps and that her whole life mm. but when robin is given the opportunity to prove herself she stumbles in the situation she's you know she nearly sets off the trap she gets caught in traps herself when she gets flung up into the tree and accidentally shoots her own bird merlin and <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's like there, there's this quarter culture going on with the kids trying to prove themselves yeah but very quickly they're shown to not be very capable in in the real world. <laughs> so just doesn't speak. take no for an answer in that opening scene with, no. her, with her dad. <laughs> like three times he goes, "Go back to the house. Go back to the house. Go back to the house." Nope, she won't. She won't put up with it. I I think that's just such a great way. You immediately fall in love with her as well. Like it's such a great character introduction. Yeah, because it's it's Erna. He's a really good character introduction, and and it actually helps sort of. Um make us like Goodfellow to her dad. Yeah, um, yeah. Because... Well, they have a good relationship. I mean, it helps Sean Bean's sort of the the voice actor. But I do, because, I mean, basically, you look at his role in Game of Thrones, just in that first season, you know, Ned Stark was such a, a, a character that lasted nine episodes in the grand scheme of that show, yet had oh, such no. resonance. <laughs> um, spoiler. Ned I, dies I, I the, still haven't seen Game of in Thrones. In the first... Yeah, but surely you know that. I I know very little about Game of Thrones. How? <laughs> I know I just I literally you know because I, I know like of the characters and, and you know Peter Dinklage. I know the iconography of the show, but I virtually have no idea what happens. Now, to be I honest, no you idea. might forget by the time you actually watch That's it. That's true. Because Who at this point, you're in that uh, you're in what I'm in with Better Call Saul, where it's like you'll get to it eventually. Yeah, exactly. But it'll be like ten years from now. I'm, like, I, well, that's I'm literally sending you links from the last season that are so yeah. spoilery, but it's like you're so far away from it. It almost doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and the scenes are out of context. Yeah. And I mean, the first, the, yeah, but the, like, he sets <laughs> off this big domino effect, but it's like the reason you care so much and even watching, I remember I was like three seasons behind by the time sure. I watched that show. And then when I still watched that scene, I was gobsmacked and shocked yeah. because yeah. in that show in particular, he was like the A-list Bill character. Like right. you watched that show because Sean Bean was in this medieval drama and you're like, yeah. oh, it's Boromir from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So you jump on board. So it's like, and you find he's this earnest father figure and he captures, he gets it in animated form too. And um, I think the character design is, is such an important part of why this... Even just the differences in sizes with all these characters. Yeah, we have to talk. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. So what does that suggest to you? Why, what the dramatic size difference between adults and children. I just think that, I mean, that's such a staple in animation in general. I mean, you look at, like, even The Simpsons, you look at the size difference between Bart and Homer, and it's like, Homer's, like, six times his height. And it's like, 10-year-olds aren't usually that short compared to their parents. Some Sometimes they are, but I mean, I think in animation, it's just an, they like to exaggerate the size yeah. differences of this is clearly a child, this is clearly an adult. And in, in the status of this film, or in, in the context of this film... You know, he's trying to protect her. And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily even a gendered thing. It's just it's a father trying to protect their daughter. Daughter, yeah. And it, and it makes... It just sort of highlights the danger more by having her so short compared to, to well, him and all the other adult characters. So, I oh. mean, that makes sense. No, I agree. I don't think it's a... a um... It's like the, the animators like, what the hell taller kids? We don't know. I have to, think, I have to <laughs> check what Sean Bean's character's name is because you never hear his like first name. Oh, that's Bill true. Bill Goodfellow. Bill Goodfellow. Yeah, because the law protector just call him Goodfellow. Yeah. And I always thought that was Mr. Really Goodfellow. I thought that was funny because I thought he was just calling him Goodfellow, which made the last oh. couple of scenes <laughs> like Goodfellow. And it was like, it, the last couple of scenes, it made very confusing because it was oh. like, 
he, he wants was like to kill in shackles him, but, and he wanted to yeah. kill him and he was like good fellow and i was like <laughs> why would you call the guy that you're trying to kill a good fellow but um i think he does have a line early in the film where he's he's talking to robin he says something about like a good fellow never such and such i feel like that line's in there somewhere it probably is i just got a little maybe Fair i just enough. got lost in translation but <laughs> that's really good i have to ask he's still respectful this is, to call him a good fellow i i have to pick your brain at the lord protector character okay because lord obviously protector the, very clearly the the villain of the film yes wouldn't call him the end the authentic antagonist because i mean there's a lot of antagonistic forces in the film yeah because like at he's, first you would argue it's it's bill it's sure. good fellow yeah obviously because he's the hunter for pretty much the first half of the, the two-thirds of the film yeah and Lord Protector is sort of this overseeing, embodying, yeah, overseeing yeah. presence that honestly spends most of the the movie, most of the, most of the film removed. Sure, he only really comes back for the for the set, the midpoint. Yeah. Really, I feel like his presence is sort of in the sense that you know that the father, as much as you know, he's a good wolf hunter and he's doing his job, but he's really only doing the job because that's his assignment. Yeah. So I, I feel like I mean his he presence serves the huntsman. Of, Right. Character trope from, like, Snow White or folklore. Mm. Like, he's serving a larger good or a necessary evil. So right. he's, he's just following orders. Yeah. Um, and it it is... Fu- I, fu- I was quite surprised how long it took her dad to get on board. Um, it's pretty, like, last second, isn't it? Yeah. Because he doesn't find out that she turns into a wolf walker... Um, until like the last ten until, minutes, yeah, until the climax, yeah. essentially. Um, and there's some good, there's some good like little revelations in there, isn't yeah. there? Um, it's such a great. I mean, this is why I go back to again. Like kids would love this one because the climax is so, like everything happens in the climax. There's so much going on at once. It's not really sparse. I think it's a fast paced film. I think a lot happens in the hundred and ten minutes or yeah. whatever it ends up being, but. They really do build to the climax. It's just like big, gigantic thing with the explosions and the red lighting. And you think of like the end of The Lion King, where it's just like it's visually so striking yeah. and just and red. The animation and just style that's really pushing that paint meets paper feel. Yeah, to it, yeah. Where it's like. And a secret of Kells looked like paper mache a lot of the time. Yeah, and it just it awesome. looks like it's coming off a page, which is just. But it, which is different. Often the expression's like, oh, it's like a storybook and it's narrative. And, you know, right. we, we talked about when we watched The Sting that it was like, oh, the storyboard, the illustrations. But it's one thing to have that storybook feeling. Mm. It's another thing to authentically be like, I feel like a book has come to life. Yeah, and I'm to literally it watch out. it animate in that sense. Um, the, um, the cradle effect. <laughs> 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 to quote a famous filmmaker. There you go. The, um, the <laughs> speaking of quoting... I think the uh, status on the animation is that it uses a unique 2D style alternating between a woodblock aesthetic and loose expressive line work. Now, I'm no animation expert. There's not a lot of terms I could articulately explain. Um, But just like writing down all the different methods and and stylistic choices that the animation is doing, I think the loose line work is how you can kind of see... faces and stuff, right? Well, that, uh, to an extent, I mean, that, that's more like sort of the henna-esque paintings that appear. You're right, and like they come up on the arms and then frames the wolf yeah. in front of the face. I'm thinking more just like when you watch, even just like the normal um, visual stuff of them walking in a forest, for example. If you look behind sort of the, the, the colouring in and the shading and all on the actual characters, mm. you can actually see the very blank, almost like stick figure-esque shapes so, like, the smallest perfect circle of their head inside the actual detailed head. Okay. And it's the kind of thing you have to really look out for, but once you notice it, you kind of see it's every character has that. Okay. Um, so, they've... It, it's pretty much creating... You're talking about it, with the POV in, shots when it's moving through the wolf it's, vision? It's basically the whole movie. Okay. It's very, it's a very subtle sort of... Like, when you draw... And again, I'm no animation expert, but I understand you draw out those shapes. So like, you draw a circle that's meant to be the body a circle that's meant to be the head, and then I guess like circles that are meant to be oh, the okay, legs. Cool. And it's like, that outline, the, the most pure outline of like a human body you could draw, that's in there, in the animation. You can see it beyond all the color and the animation of each character. And it's one of those things. I wonder if I can even... I actually made the film my desktop um, image. 
which tells you how much I love the film and, and just the visuals of it. But here you go. I'm trying to... Oh, this isn't a great example. You can't really see it here. But even just like... It's okay, I believe you. The neck here. That's No, nah, that's not a good example. I, w- I wish this was a better example. Oh, no, the wolves. You can see it in the wolves. So you see sort of these circle shades yeah, kind of inside the character's head. Pretty much the entire film, all the characters look like that. And they leave those imperfections in there just as, I guess, like an expressive... As an expression mm. <laughs> or an artistic expression. And that's something that you kind of purposely have to leave in to have it purposely imperfect. And a lot of the times, like, you know, when when they're in a wide shot and you look down sort of past the, the forest and you see in the background the big the town and how it's sort of not coloured and it's almost turning into a sketch the further well, away I was, it goes. I was going to say, I'm, mm. I'm even looking at that desktop and yeah. just little things like Robin's transformation with her clothing. And how she yeah. gets the browns on there and starts to bring the greens in. Her colour of her cape's not absolute black like it is in the first scene. It's even her shoes, like the way they draw, they, they don't have a hard cut off for when the shoes end. I don't know if their shoes or socks or mm. whatever, but they sort of kind of fade away. It's almost like the opacity's slowly dipping before you hit the skin. Yeah, and it's like just those little details. I mean, the whole film's so expressive, but. Like I say, it was just more the things that, even though that's sort of the style, we can look at it in image form. The visual form, I love the the circle vintage thing when they sort mm-hmm. of, it's almost like a Star Wars wipe. Yeah. Where it goes away and, and it sucks all the color with it. And then when the dissolve comes back, all the color like splats back onto the screen. Absolutely. Just a lot of my, one of my other favorite little details is all the, the torches and the flames where they don't really have this smooth flame effect where everything around it is red and then slowly the red fades away they're basically these little um hexagon shapes so it's almost like they've sort of stuck these hard shapes that are meant to represent mm. sort of the outer That's rim a paper of the flicker. feeling exactly of like they almost have to stick paper on it and they had they couldn't feather i mean they could feather it but they chose not to so let's have these hard cutoffs you could tell like oh well that that's not a very realistic looking flame it doesn't like fade out of existence in a natural way, but it, like yeah. it's more interesting that it doesn't. But it's it, and it's even just little things. It's like mm. the 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 more boxy shapes of the English soldiers and mm. the the Lord Protector. They go with the flames, like the regiment of of imperialism. Yeah. That is, it's just subtle visual storytelling that would even would be as visual. Yep. And translate just as well if this was a picture book as it would in a visual, like a movie visual text. Like yeah. And that's really interesting to sort of look at because it's just very clever, st- subtle storytelling that helps you really easily draw a line between what is good and right and moralistic mm. and, and and then what is sort of morally corrupt, evil, and, and, and has Ill, Ill intentions. Yeah. And, even just like comparing those blockage shapes to like Meb's hair, which is just like all completely thrown out. And that's actually something they draw attention to when Robin lets her hair down after she sort of crosses that second to third act, I guess, character development where she's sort of fully embraced that she's going to do the right thing. She lets her hair down and it's sort of more messy. And so you're even just those visual clues of, you know, going with the hierarchy versus standing up for yourself and what, what's right. Fantastic. Very good stuff. Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, so some of the other details I wanted to mention, like you you actually said this earlier, but you're right, the little symbols and glyphs that sort of appear on the skin that frame the wolf face or when she first gets bit, like the yellow ones that come from her POV. I really loved all of that stuff. That's, of course, once she gets bitten and becomes a wolf walker herself. There's a moment where Meb gets really angry. It's almost like blinding rage because the Mm -hmm. aspect ratio is literally changing. I remember noticing, I'd be like, oh, I... That's weird. I didn't notice. I had these big black bars, and I was like, "Oh wait, no, that's the movie. It just did that." <laughs> um, I love the synchronicity of the workers. I think it's the scullery, where it's sort of mm. like the um, not the like a bit of a back laundry thing where she ends up working. Yeah, it's just like a kitchen. Yeah, exactly. It's just housemaid work mostly. Yeah, and again, that goes to what you were saying with sort of the the blockage shapes, and that has the synchronicity how, of yeah, and how all of the old ladies who old maidens who have been working there are us, just yeah. block blocky, and they all look very similar too. Yeah, that's the like they're all like 
just the same sort of composition you would be like you'd have to squint to really see the difference between them <laughs> yeah well that's it you kind of look at the swarm of those ladies You're not really meant to distinguish mm-hmm. one from the other none of them have personalities or names or anything it's just like part of this this block that she's being forced into to avoid it from i guess exploring more but um yeah between i i mean i could go on forever about the animation i love the um there's almost like a direct shout out to the Penrose staircase, that sort of staircase, um, contradictory. Although the what's it called? Um, a, the up to the illusion one. Yeah. What what's the word I'm looking for? Not complex. Contradiction. No. What? Complementary. No, it's um. Paradox. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. Is paradox. But yeah, not the one from Inception. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a very direct shout out to that where it's looking down, but it, it just the the staircase is so squished and or so flat. It's like a rejection of the Disney multiplane when they first introduced in like Snow White and Pinocchio. Like here's how we create layers of depth in the animation. This one's like we're going to go the complete opposite way. We're going to flatten everything. Mm-hmm. In fact, that the 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 town every time you see it, it looks like top a, down the top down effect. It's not Top Gun. Stop down, no. but like I keep thinking that's a gate when we're out in the forest and we see the town in the distance. I keep thinking that's just a giant gate. It's like no, that's the town. You can see the the layout and everything that leads to that sort of front stage yeah. that they use later on. They've just completely flattened the top down look of it and sort of thrown it up against the wall. And I, I, I just love all those little details. I, if you're an animation student or nut, like you have to just adore this film. Yeah. So much to interpret. But something different. You it's know, so it's different, yeah. And, you know, I, I think when you look at that stuff, you're like, oh, that's really clever. Like, it's it, it's not just... La- like, it's not lazy. It's totally yeah. intended for that aesthetic of we're really trying to convince you that there's, there's depth in the frame when we want it, and there's not. Yep. But this is complete and utter 2D animation for yeah. all of its limitations, yep. but what you can do in that space, too. It kind of is a celebration of those limitations because they yeah. just embrace them almost every single shot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, just a, so, just a fantastic film. I mean, one of the last points that I have sure. is I have to ask where you stand when it comes to the Lord Protector's sort of rhetoric with mm. the emphasis on particularly Christianity. Right. Um, he has a lot of very biblical-esque lines, particularly in the latter stages of the film right. when he's trying to strike where do you think that sits is that a a, a callback to the, sort of the mythology and the, the folktale side of things that sort of eggers yeah. touches on I, a little bit too yeah i think because if i can get the name of the the war again that this actually took place in or took place towards the latter half of it, i thought it actually ended in 1650 the year that this film takes place but it, apparently it's a few years after so my guess is, so it was the the Irish Confederate Wars, which I think went from 1640 to 53, I think. So again, this is sort of the latter part of it. And it talks about how the Confederate Army fought on behalf of the Catholic Confederation, which at the time, I guess, ruled two-thirds of Ireland. So it just goes back to that Catholic Confederation, the fact that that's just the religious backing that the Confederates would have come from at that point. So maybe it was just them sort of, really imbuing his character with a lot of that to, to I was reinforce giving, the idea which that is, it came Which from. is quite bold when you okay. think this is a... Well, I would say so, because when you think this is a, a children's film, mm. you know, you've just talked about a Confederate war. <laughs> I was going like, to make a gone with the wind like, joke earlier, but... <laughs> no, but let, I mean, we think about it, and it's one of those things where it's like, wow, that's like real authenticity and depth yep. that they're expecting to have in this children's film. Sure. And... At its core, if you're a child watching this, obviously you're not going to register no. like why he's saying all of these sort of Christian... bad man wants to kill my wolf friend. That's that's what you're registering. Yeah, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But I find it really interesting because it's almost like this film's in a way it's it's uh, by having an antagonist, it's a little bit more complex and allows you to look into historical contexts. Yeah, and really plays into that almost fantasy meets um, fantasy meets well. Fic- like history really yeah yep. um which is more a common trait of obviously sci-fi doing that whole alternative yeah. well that's why compared it to stuff. assassin's creed earlier yeah is a lot of it especially with secret of Kells, but in this film to an extent as well like filling in the blanks of real history with elements of the folklore 
fantasy yeah. side of of which Island. is not a normal trope of fantasy films. They're often sure. just complete and other different, yeah. different worlds. After Tartar, half fairy. I mean, oh. I guess you could argue like Narnia has <laughs> a bit of both, but it, sure. they still escape to a complete foreign world. Like yeah. there's no, there's no parallels to the world that they're in, other than they go from one war to another, really. Right. And I guess in this one, yeah, it's quite interesting that it's authentically basing its like lead antagonist or the yep. the biggest villain of the film yeah. has such rhetoric the lead antagonist yeah has such rhetoric that's so grounded in in Religious history I- ideology yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's interesting and, yeah the more and the more figure is pretty bold because they for it for a children's film and I don't want to devalue this to just oh it's a children's film it's not allowed to have important themes because I think this film's no absolutely I mean, we've incredible talked about up even in, on this show and how yeah. that has the adult I mean the first five minutes of that film yeah. the opening but op- that but that's that's in relation to sort of love and family it's not it's not about religious ideology which is a bit more of a slippery <laughs> slope of 2020 weirdly obscure Irish historical context <laughs> like yeah no I, I go I, I love that not it's, that it's hard there. to I mean, find it's just and it there yeah. is an opening scroll I guess where they talk yeah, about right. the year and sort of the occupation i think they, they touch on a little bit in that i opening. think i think so in the title opening title scroll i mean oh. it might literally just say kilkenny 1650 okay i think that's all it yeah but i mean it's still good that it's in there and like i for one watching the mythology videos and learning a bit about like that war for example and then some of the backstory like the book of Kells that in the other film that covers the writing of that book and and you know which monk wrote and then what century was it written and like i adore I'm not the biggest history buff, yeah. but I have such a deep appreciation of um, archival materials and history. And I mean, I talk about film history a lot in terms of like, I, I want to archive all my, my Blu-rays and protect yeah. all the films, you know, the society of filmmaking. But even just in a general sense of history, folklore and, and, and gospel writings and all of that stuff. And, and I just appreciate how much of that they can inject into a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. And j- just go with it. That I mean, that's one. Of, again, we talk about Assassin's Creed a lot. I mean, that's one of the greatest things about Assassin's Creed is just how deep into the into real history they go into, and then putting their own spin on it by filling the blanks with their own Absolutely. fiction. And this goes an extra step further because it's not purely fiction; it's folklore that has survived centuries. I I just have an immense respect for that. So, yeah. right. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I can jump right into our highlight scenes. What was your highlight scene? I think I talked a little bit about when we introduced to Robin. I mean, that's a great scene. But I want to talk about the next scene we see her in in that hut is when she's rehearsing to herself and to Merlin the conversation she's going to have to her dad about Wolfwalkers. And again, such a great little character moment where you see how she approaches it, how she sees her dad and the voice she does for her dad and how she expects him to respond. And that quite a lot of it is accurate. Like the fact that he calls her lass and and the way the conversation she plays out, except he doesn't... He gets upset when she finds out she went into the woods. But I love to compare and contrast those two conversations that happen before and after he actually enters the scene and the insight it gives into Robin as a character. I just, I just... Both times I saw this, I was like, that's such a great scene. I love that scene so much. Yeah, no worries. What about yours? It's probably the first time um, Robin finds out, like, the wolf. Then she wakes up as a wolf. As a wolf. That's a great scene. Sort of the escape of the city is really interesting because of the sort of the disorientation and the the pressure immediately when Mm. um, Goodfellow comes in um, and sort of sees this wolf sitting over the top of Robin asleep and not really understanding what's happening and then leading into the sort of the the, 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 the chase, isn't it? explanation scene oh okay and we get that really good original i assume originally written song with the yeah um, yeah that definitely the wolf uh, like embracing like that wild side and it's a really nice song actually yeah um, oh it's it's lovely and just the visuals just totally the fits, yeah visuals. and then having the beautiful like light painting visions mm. of wolf vision which is like yeah almost painting with light that's like a, what yeah it is cam- really light painting that's probably a better way to describe it than i like i called it glyphs yeah. <laughs> it really is light painting over the faces yeah yeah and it's just a gorgeous sequence and a great use of pov shots in, yeah. which is not something we see a lot in animation in particular 
No, I think um, it might not that it's like, oh it's too hard to do, but I think I think that is one of the more challenging things you would do. Yeah, like off the top of my head I can think of maybe two Pixar films that have used I know Buzz does it, you can see his reflection That's in the, the glass. only that was the first one and I think yep. Wally does it a couple of times when Wally's checking out Eva. Oh maybe. I can't even remember there might not even be Wally either. Um Yeah. Or well, even 2D animation, like even when I think of Pinocchio, and it's like that film goes out of its way in the motions and the animation to sort of impress its audience. From like, a 2D wow, animation point of view, it's even bolder. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, and I think this film takes risks and has a lot of depth to it and a lot of things to like. And you could see it as just a cute animation film. That's fine, but it, like that's totally adequate. A child, the fact that a child could watch this, but uh, an adult can break it, like break down why it's actually such a good yeah film it, that's a testament to the film's diversity yeah i mean i think it's just such a i don't like using the word simple but it is such like a sweet straightforward story about again and that was one of the big takeaways as well was how they balanced the wider themes of what we're talking about with the the confederation yeah exactly yeah all of that and then even just the idea of violence begetting violence and them sort of taking over the the wood and trying to kill the wolves and just that wider scope with just the beautiful relationship between two girls who feel lonely that only have one parent i love the mm. the symmetry of that when all four of them are together and it's almost like two sisters with a mother and a father um i love how that kind of clicks together by the end um it melts those two stories that are on such different spectrums of you know a gigantic century-long folktale story about the pure instincts of human beings and then the relationship that's sweet and somber and caring between these two girls i think it balances those two elements so perfectly that you just you have to love it you really do wolf walkers is currently out on apple tv we heavily recommend you watch it it's one of the only good things on apple tv plus right now ted lasso oh it's true now i can finally watch ted lasso again there you go my apple tv plus believe Speaking of Ted Lasso and streaming platforms, Jake, what's new to streaming yeah. platforms and cinemas this week? Coming to Netflix this week, we have Purple Hearts, which explores the blossoming romance between a singer-songwriter and a soldier. Ooh, exciting times. You've also got... No, I don't usually mention, like, two-part miniseries or anything like that. Sure. But I wanted to shout out The Most Hated Man on the Internet, which sees one woman's mission against the self-proclaimed king of revenge porn after nudes of her daughter are shared online. That could be awesome. That could be fun. That's like the, um, you know, don't F with cats level awesome for, I imagine it's a documentary. Oh, I'm there's a good part it. in the Tinder swindler when like, oh, he seen goes, it. when they go public with the news with this, yep. this guy and he basically goes from living this rich high life to ending up having to like stay in a hostel and can't cook his own, <laughs> like oh, can't no. get food yeah. before he's arrested by Interpol. And there's a, there's a satisfaction to it because sure. it's like he's, you know, we're, we've he's got like four it. or five women that have been interviewed just in this film alone. And you're just like, when he finally gets his dues and he's like sitting there like, I need money. I, I can barely stay <laughs> up. Like, I can barely stay afloat. Can you please help me? And no one's helping him. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> Eat it. There's a really, there is a re- there's that really good moment. And is it like just before it, it sort of peters out for the rest of the story where you're just like yeah this is like yeah he got what was coming to him it's nice to see someone who got what's coming to him i know because that was the one thing about fire he never quite got the punishment i was gonna say like the 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 whole point with fire is that the ball dropping in that scene is is the festival yes and after what just happened with splendor in the grass over the last weekend um with them barely getting that festival right. everything going wrong with that i'm gonna have to look that up it's, is it's that another fire sequel. right there no because it wasn't the guy like cutting money it was oh just okay weather was mostly bad. um but yeah like after that like the the fallout from oh, fire the fire fest that last like 30 minutes is a bit like it's uh, deflating he's, because he's just back to it yeah yeah but, to be fair, so it's the Tinder, swind- Tinder Swindler. Oh, well, there you go. So. I still got... I got a, well, It sounds great, Tinder yes. Swindler. I've heard great things. Coming to stand this week, you've got the Australian film Breath, the Matrix Trilogy, note trilogy, not including the fourth one, uh, the 1992 film The Bodyguard, I believe it's the 1992 film, and The Wolf of Wall Street. I swear that like, every two weeks, that's coming to some streaming service. Uh, on Disney+, Plus, we've got Not Okay, which is not to be confused with the Oh, Son- oh Honey Son Be Okay, 
I thought it was really clever with that one. We see Zoe Deutsch as an ambitious young woman pose as a survivor of a deadly attack to gain fame and followers. So what's that on? That's on Disney+. Plus. Okay. So we should see it later this week. Uh, coming to binge, we have Magic Mike, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I know you liked quite a bit, and Sing 2, which is also coming to Prime. So either Prime or binge, you got Sing 2. There you go. Enjoy it. I don't think Seth MacFarlane's in that one. <laughs> That's, that's all I know about is <laughs> they cut him out. And maybe Scarlet too. I'm not quite too sure about that. And I'm a little bit excited for this one. I saw the trailer. Seems kind of fun, cute. Love the cast. On Paramount Plus, we have Honor Society, which is in Gowie Rice and Gaten Matarazzo. Matarazzo, mm. of course, from Stranger Things. Uh, as high school honorary rivals turned lovers. Ooh. The trailer looks cute. Okay. The trailer looks really cute. I'm excited for that. And coming to cinemas. We have The Forgiven, which is Ralph Fiennes, Jessica Chastain, and Matt Smith as a couple. Well, two of those three are a couple. I, I don't know if that math checks out otherwise. Uh, who are on the brink of divorce and accidentally hit and kill a young man in Morocco. You could do the math on who's who in that <laughs> scenario too. So is Matt Smith getting killed? I guess he's the one getting hit and killed. It's like Daniel Radcliffe in Swiss Army Man. Because <laughs> I wouldn't birdies. think either Ralph Fiennes or... Matt Smith were very young. Maybe Jessica Chastain is the one that... Oh, but says young men. <laughs> How old is Matt Smith? I would say Matt Smith's the same age as Jessica Chastain. Is he... Like, late 30s. Right? I think if he's under 40, you can get away with young man. Yeah, but, like, Ralph Fiennes is, like, nearly... I... What is it? He's 50, sure. Yeah, but we're not talking about Ralph Fiennes. He's clearly the married man in stress. <laughs> so, that... <laughs> That's odd. I didn't realize how intentionally funny this write-up was because it's like, <laughs> here are three people, here are three different characters, figure it out. <laughs> maybe it's none of them. Maybe like... I know, maybe, yeah, they play neighbors. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe like there's like a, an, a love affair going on that gets unpacked. Right. So the couple that are on the brink of divorce, they're secretly cheating on each other with Ralph Fiennes and Jessica Chastain. <laughs> and then the man who gets hit in Morocco is Matt Smith's brother, who then becomes the investigator. We did it, Zeke. Oh, well, one of them's the investigator, then. Like, that's... why That was silly, wasn't it? It's Fiennes is probably the investigator. We don't know if there's an investigator. That's one of them's the clearly says. a policeman. <laughs> and then the guy gets hit clearly just some chump. So next week we should really like one of us should watch this and confirm who's who. Oh, I was gonna say that's so funny. Um, anyway, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, the Forgiven. The Forgiven, and it's so on... think of the Unforgiven, and then think about the ending, movie ending with a forgiveness message. It's coming to cinemas. Oh, okay. So you got You got to go out. You got to leave your room for that one, unfortunately. But <laughs> that's okay. I'll just look it up. I'll read the the Wikipedia plotline and we'll have in brackets who plays whom. Oh, yeah, no. Chastain and Fines are dating each other. Okay, so they're the, the couple on the brink of the divorce. I mean, that makes sense. That's not that surprising. But who's the young man, Zeke? Matt Smith, apparently. Oh, well, there you go. If he's under 40, you can get away with calling him a young man. They say young man in Morocco. Maybe Morocco have a different standard for ageism. Maybe that's what it's referring to. Alright, Z, I'm going to move on because yeah, we could get we could get into this for quite a while, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> we also have Murder Party, which follows a brilliant architect who must suddenly investigate the murder of the patriarch whose mansion she was assigned to renovate. Now, Zeke, yes, I saw the poster for this film. Sure. Between, sort of the uh, what would you even call it? The sort of the the look. There's almost like a clay look to it. You have a family looking to camera. In the back, centered, is a portrait of the patriarch. And the text is sort of this bright yellow, pointy end. It's Knives Out. It's just Knives Out. They copied Knives Out. I'm sick of it. I don't know what I'm sick of. This is the first time I've seen anyone do this. What's its name? It's called Murder Party. Yeah, look up the poster for this. It actually kind of angered me. This is just a gigantic knives off, knives out ripoff. Oh not, wow! Look at that! <laughs> Everyone at home, pull it, pull, pull over the yeah, car. Yeah, but surely it's a like has nothing to do with knives out though. 
But is it like a one of those jokey films? I don't know. It definitely looks like a murder mystery clue esque film, but there's no yeah. there's nowhere near many. Look at that poster! Come on, that's ridiculous. It's a real knockoff. Ah, oh, what are they doing? I don't know, Zeke. I don't know. It is what it is. Over at Luna, you have a screening for Park Chain Wook's Old Boy this Thursday, the twenty eighth, and a movies with Mark preview screening of Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. This Sunday, the 31st. Now, that film is a Sundance hit. Sees a retired widow, Nancy, hire a good-looking young sex worker, Leo Grande, in the hopes of a night of pleasure after an unfulfilling marriage. I'm hearing this is really sort of quirky and fun. Mm. So, there we go. That's a preview screening. I think it goes wide next week. So, you're going to have to catch that on Sunday, the 31st, if you want to see it immediately. Uh, But otherwise, Zeke, that's it. That's it for streaming and cinemas. Beautiful. Well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week, but it also happens to be a director's corner. Jake. It indeed does. Who's the director and what are we watching? Um, we spent quite a while before recording picking a director that we haven't done that that seems relevant to mm-hmm. an extent. And uh, I like the pick we landed on. Next week, Zeke, we're talking about Alexandra Payne and his film, Sideways. Let me show you how this is done. Hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Now, stick your nose in it. Maybe some strawberry. Oh, there's just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edam cheese. When do we drink it now? Mmm. Are you chewing gum? No. Spit it out. Here's my last week of freedom. We're gonna play some golf, eat some great food, and we're gonna send you off in style. It's gonna be great. Two middle-aged men embark on a spiritual journey through Californian wine country. One is an unpublished novelist suffering from depression. Suffering? That's not a word, is it, Jake? And the other is only days away from walking down the aisle. It's a fun film. I could say suffering... Yes. And then, but I'm going to keep saying suffering in a way that I can't edit it into my speech. Just to make it worse for myself. Absolutely. You know what I mean? No, of course. Is that the kind of witty humor you would expect from Sideways, Zeke? Yes, I think much like the wittiness on this podcast, we're going to get a lot <laughs> from Alexander Payne's Sideways. We're also going to look mm, excited. at sort of the whole repertoire. So Yeah, because I think you've seen a lot more Alexander Payne films than I have. Yeah. I've seen Nebraska, which we did on the show. And I've seen Downsizing, which doesn't help his argument. <laughs> so I have a lot more to catch up on his filmography, including Sideways. I'm very excited to see No dramas. Film. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Sideways. Sideways.